This is In Focus, the weekly public affairs program from KTBB and the Team Sports Radio, featuring members of the local community working to make East Texas a better place. Good morning. Hey, I'm Lonnie Johnson. Welcome to another episode of In Focus. Heard weekends on KTBB 97.5 FM and KRWR, the team on 92.1 FM. Join us each week as we interview those who help Tyler and Longview residents make their life better. And as always, you can reach out to us at ktbb.com slash in focus with your show ideas or thoughts uh this week i'm happy to interview amanda herderick uh who is with historic tyler and we're going to talk about some of the the actually a new neighborhood that's been added to the historic uh division i guess you would say and that is uh pollard mm-hmm. so good morning welcome aboard and let's start there Okay, good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, So, yeah, the um, Pollard Historic District is um, in the nomination process right now, so it's proposed. It's not yet final. Um, But we have nominated it to be the ninth and largest historic district in Tyler. So it encompasses over 1,200 properties, and um, these properties date from the 1940s to 1973. Um, It's that post-war period of population boom and growth and prosperity in Tyler. And so you see minimal traditional uh, style homes, styled ranches, and modern architectural features. A lot of Frank Lloyd Wright kind of 50s stuff in there also. Mm -hmm. What are the other uh, eight? The other eight. Okay. You can put me on the spot. (laughs) All right. I'll put you on the spot. Okay. So the first one was Charmwood, 1999. Okay. We also have Shortline. And okay, okay. where's Shortline? Okay, so Shortline is just um, Rosewood Cemetery. It's okay, just okay. east of it. It's a tiny little division or a little neighborhood, like the old Rosewood Cemetery. Really? Yeah, yeah. no, I know. Oh, well, Rosewood, the one on Broadway, right? Oh, sorry, excuse me, Oakwood. Oakwood. So Oakwood. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so if you, there's Oakwood Cemetery, if you go to the east, there's a, a couple of blocks of like mm-hmm. modest kind of row houses. Mm-hmm. And that was um, historically African-American rental homes. Okay. So, so that's short line. We said Charnwood. Uh, East Ferguson. So downtown, just east of the downtown heart. Okay. Like two to three blocks. Um, so and just, that's called the East Ferguson? That's East Ferguson. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's another couple of blocks. Okay. Same um, row houses that was predominantly uh, working class rental homes. Uh, 1920s bungalow style. So Shortline and East Ferguson are very similar. Not to get sidetracked, what yeah. denotes a bungalow style? Okay, so when you think of bungalow, it's 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 used commonly, but most often with craftsmen. So you have the kind of tapered columns. Um, it's usually a like a a boxed massing. I don't know if that makes any sense. You're looking at me. No, like it does. It, no, no, no. I'm not. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I do understand because you're talking about the like supports that get more narrow at the top and wider mm-hmm. at the base. Yeah. And they're all over these historic neighborhoods. Yes, and usually there's like a small porch and um, the street facing front is typically it can be narrower it may be wider but they're they're placed up towards the sidewalk does a bungalow denote a smaller dwelling often they tend to be smaller i mean i guess it depends on your perspective but i mean they could easily be two three bedroom homes they might be single story two story but they're not going to be the the really stately style exactly yeah okay so that uh let's keep moving because i'm I'm just really curious (laughs) Okay. okay um so let's see we have what three i think there four downtown 
Now, that was not a project Historic Tyler did. That was a City of Tyler project, but all the other ones I'm naming, Historic Tyler um, had a hand in creating. Uh, So we have the downtown area. We have Azalea, Mm -hmm. of course. Uh, Brick Streets. Mm -hmm. Brick Street was, is that the newest one? The newest... Let me think. So Pollard's going to be 2019. Downtown was 2022. Okay. So it's really okay. new. Okay. Then prior to that, it may have been Brick Street. So I'll have to check on the year on that one. Why did it take so long to declare downtown a historic area? That's a real good question. Thank you. I might direct you to Amber Verona. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think there was a lot of discussions. It, it takes a long time to do a National Register nomination. Um, particularly the more properties you're looking at, the longer the process takes. Each one's really thoroughly documented and the history is documented. So I know it was a multi-year process. So it was begun well before 2022. It was likely, I think it was begun 2017 or 18. Mm-hmm. So she can tell you all the story on that one. What does it take to qualify an area for a historic designation? Okay. So often you're looking at either, does it have historical or architectural significance or sometimes both? So in the case of architecture, we talk about integrity. So the less that the, and we're just talking exterior for, for these purposes. If the exterior of the building maintains as much of its authentic materials as possible. That's high historical integrity. That shiplap, that's... That shiplap, that's windows, that's doors, you know, that's... um, Or if it has alterations to it, have they not been damaging to the building? Like, for instance, those um, metal skirtings or awnings that are sometimes attached on old buildings. Mm -hmm. The building may date to the late 1800s, early 1900s, but that awning was a 1940s or 50s edition. Well, that can easily be removed. And you're fine. So you look at things like that. If the building has been chopped and changed, it has modern vinyl windows, the the original doors aren't there, the whole door opening has been changed, then that the historical integrity has been compromised. Right, and that can't become historical and historical site. Right, it'll probably be considered non-contributing is how they label that. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, so, so what, so Tyler... Uh, well, all of East Texas, I mean, uh, whether it's Cherokee County, Smith County, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Cass County, um, all these counties, especially more as you move uh, towards Louisiana, they're very old. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Um, is is this area one of the oldest, like more historical places in the South, so to speak? Okay. So I got a really good response to that, at least I think. Okay. Um, I got to give what credit we're all about here. to um, Dr. Scott Sosby at SFA. He said, it depends on how you define old, how you define town, and how you define Texas. <laughs> so having said okay. that, I would say you yes. You running for office? No. Okay. No, right. that ain't my thing. Okay. I just want to save right. old buildings. <laughs> there you go. Um, no. The uh, Spanish missionaries first came to East Texas in about the 1690s. Okay. And there was a continuous presence until about 1774. So East Texas certainly has a strong claim for some of the oldest as far as European occupation goes. Okay. Now, the French were there first in Louisiana, which is why the Spanish then said, oh. Right, and the Germans went to to Central Texas. They did later on, yeah. So mid-19th century, the Germans started settling that part of what was in Texas. So 
initially but, but we were still part really the oldest part of texas because we kind of moved out west too correct from a european perspective yes. yeah i mean the caddo you know we're already here of course the comanches in west texas Kronkoa down south texas but yes yeah, so it kind of it's interesting the, the colonization in texas started with the spanish and went northeastward mm-hmm. and then colonization retreated the spanish went to san antonio and that was a buffer and then later on americans start coming from the eastward so okay, got you. The, the colonization routes flip-flop depending on which group you're talking about. But that's why Texas is hmm. such a blended state culturally. That's really interesting. That that's is cool. really interesting. <laughs> so uh, uh, w- w- we started about talking about the Pollard uh, neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> we went all over the place. But I, I wanted to visit that because um, for those of you who are listening, uh, first off, let's give uh, it's kind of moving around all over the place, but let's give your URL. Oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, just about a week and a half ago, we launched a new website. So www.historictyler.org. There you'll find um, all the details for our events. So we have the 44th Annual Historic Tyler on Tour coming up in April. So April 6th and 7th are the weekend tour dates. Tickets will be available in March for that. And then we also have uh, info on membership. So if you want to join our small nonprofit, we'd love to have you. And then we also have more resources available now, too. So if you're interested in historic preservation and you don't have a clue where to start, I've got lots of books, um, handouts, National Park Service preservation briefs, the whole shebang. So check it out. On the historic, we'll get to Pollard in just one second, but on the historic tour, on the home Mm -hmm. tour, can we go through the homes or do you just yes. drive by and look at the homes? No, you'll get to, you'll have access to the inside of the homes. Um, and access is determined by the homeowner. So you may not be able to go upstairs for instance, but you will be able to check out the interior of each home. So there will be five homes on tour, uh, that weekend. So you could do Saturday or Sunday tickets are uh, $15 for members and 25 for non-members. What, where are the five homes located this year? There's one in Charnwood. Okay. It's at 627 South Fannin, cute pink Queen Anne style. Oh, that's one of the big homes. It's spacious, right? yeah. I'd say it's yeah, that's big. Well, on mm-hmm. Fannin, they're the, they're the yeah, large homes. the larger okay. homes. Mm-hmm. Okay. It has beautiful 14-foot ceilings and cypress front doors, and it's it's a wonderful home. So the kind of brown one with uh, all the woodwork, ornate woodwork all over it? They're across it? from that. This one's light pink. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. got you. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. And then the others are concentrated um, in the Azalea. Well, there's one in Brick Street and then three in the Azalea Residential Street okay. District. And, and these homes, these people open their homes to us yeah. and let us go through and basically look at them. Now, these homes, uh, the homeowners have obviously kind of leaned into the historic nature of their homes. Mm-hmm. Do, do you find that they, they uh, furnish them with period correct stuff? Most often, yes. Um, so these are definitely my kind of people. <laughs> yeah, no, mine. That's yeah. why I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's certainly a big ask, you know, to have someone open their home to the public. I mean, to support our nonprofit. So, you know, kudos to them for being willing to do it, and and we certainly admire them because yeah, they they help preserve um, these old homes. They tend to, you know, you walk inside and and you see these beautiful antique pieces that often match the period of the home and the style. So um, we also have docents inside. So, you know, you do a self-guided tour, but if you want to find out more information, the docents are happy to share kind of the history of, you know, the home or its furnishings or stories of the homeowners. So, you know, it's docents. Docents. So these are folks. Educate me. Okay. A docent 
is a volunteer who's been trained to basically give information to the public on a particular topic. So you might okay. see docents in museums or events, that sort of thing. So they could tell you the historical significance of the house mm-hmm. they're in, uh, probably uh, when it was built, what was going on at the time mm-hmm. in Tyler, because that that often reflects what kind of construction was going on, right? Like if we were going through a poor period, yeah, maybe the like during the Depression, right? Because uh, there were homes that were built in the Depression that would qualify as historic, right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. And those building materials would be different. They would be different. Yeah, so they would. the scale of the home is different. Of course, it's going to be more modest. Building materials are more common, more affordable. Um, and in my eyes, it doesn't make it any less valuable. It just tells a different, a different, someone, oh, a different story. For right? sure. And, yeah. and I think some of the, uh, some of the, the, the layouts and designs are, are super reflective of that. Like I said, there's a house on, uh, on uh, Donnybrook that you've got one house next to it and then the other house was the sharecropper's house right which is you don't hear very often right because a lot of those haven't been saved so you know sometimes the big house is saved at the expense of those smaller subsidiary structures so you're not really getting the whole story unless you save everything so the ones that were that were torn down a lot would, would those have been like shotgun style homes I I don't know this for sure, but I would say probably, right? Because there was probably for a lot of, it depends on where you're at. But yeah, a lot of those large homes probably would have had auxiliary structures for domestic servants. Some of them also lived inside the the big house themselves. So, Can can you uh, explain to our audience what a shotgun house is? I use that term, but. So shotgun refers to, basically, if you've ever been to New Orleans, you've seen a shotgun. (laughs) So very um, narrow, small portion is facing the street frontage. There's going to be one single front door, one, maybe two windows. So it's a narrow profile from the street, and then it runs deep on the lot. And I've, I've heard a few different stories as to why. Give me one of them. So some of them say it's it's for tax purposes. So you were taxed based on the number of doors or windows oh, that wow. face the street. So they said, well, we don't want to pay those taxes. We're just going to build back. <laughs> so they made great. a narrow front. Yeah. That's funny, you know, because I, uh, a lot of those homes, uh, like on uh, Donnybrook and, uh, oh gosh, what is it? Uh, just, just north of Lake Street, Frazier. Some of those homes, like Donnybrook and Frazier. I know Donnybrook. I have to look at the other ones. Okay, Frazier is like one off of Victory at the bottom of the hill, kind of on Donnybrook. Those lots are extremely deep. They look like little houses from the street, but then they're not like uh, shotgun houses, so to speak. A shotgun house, my idea of a shotgun house is basically a rectangle with a low-profile roof. Yep. Uh, uh, constructed as cheaply as possible at the time to mm-hmm. get things like you said. But there are all these uh, other homes with the typical uh, roof lines you would see in the Azalea District, but they do only have that small portion facing the street. And they look like little cottages, but then they, they might go back <laughs> right. 40, 50 feet. It's deceptive. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And I guess that's how they cut up the land. Back in the day, was there any way that we cut up land? Was there, uh, as far as in town, was there, uh, I know now, you know, it's very structured. Mm-hmm. But like in the 30s, did we? Yeah, you were. they were still subdividing lots then. So, you know, you had a lot of land acquisition late 1880s kind of that started like in the what is now the brick streets area in the azalea district those are much larger lots at the time so more often than not the oldest homes in those areas 
had the largest lots, and then they started selling off portions of their lots to oh. their neighbors. Which or, is still going on today. Yeah, it's still going on today. It's, or their family members, or maybe in some cases they sold it to pay for a house to build on the lot, the portion that they wanted to keep. So, yeah, it got chopped and changed quite a bit. Which now I promise we will get to Pollard because now that really brings me to a question of Pollard. The the my favorite aspect of the Pollard neighborhood are the stately size yards. Mm-hmm. They're huge. They're huge for the square footage of the home on them. Yep. Are there things put in place to not allow people to subdivide those lots now or that i'm not sure i would check it's the, their property it's their property right i would check with the city of tyler because they're going to have you know kind of zoning ordinances and setback ordinances and that kind of thing so i can't answer that question are, are those some of the largest lots in this in the city in the histor- historic areas in Pollard for, now. for Pollard, I would say generally they're they're probably the most spacious when you compare them to any of the other historic districts, and that's just a as a consequence of when they were built that post World War II area. There was just typically larger lots um, because that land hadn't it was just beginning to be developed, you know, okay. at that time. So uh, probably pasture. Yeah, before it was yeah. developed, it's just pasture land. Yeah, that makes sense. The Pollard Farm. There's that yeah. other, those other big crazy <laughs> lots between Donnybrook and Broadway. There's like, oh, I don't know, a dozen. <clears throat> oh yeah, a dozen. You know, between the cemetery and yes. then Fourth Street. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess those were done back in this time too. That were probably subdivided that largely. All of that was likely. I'll have to double check, but likely the 40s. I think that's when Bergfield Shopping Center was created, late 40s. Is the Robertson Road area part of a historic district yet? So, I don't know. I mean, let's say look on the map. Okay. Robertson. I'll have to double okay. check that because the boundaries for Pollard are going to be uh, Troop Highway okay. to the north. Okay. To the south. Old Troop Highway. Yes. Okay. And to the south is Loop. Okay. Um, Loop 323. To the west is going to be New Copeland. Okay. And to the oh. east is like Paluxy and Dinah. Oh, got you. That's not yeah. a huge area. Well, it's twelve hundred properties. Well, yeah, it's twelve hundred <laughs> properties. Okay. Yeah, it's just, so it's from a historic district perspective that's substantial. But we have the map on our website. Okay. So if you go on, go to historictyler.org and under projects, it has the Pollard nomination there, and then you can see like a nice clear cut map for the boundaries. Did someone have to nominate Pollard as a historic area? Is that how the process works? Yes. So um, anyone can nominate it, right, to nominate a district. But you do have to have a at least a simple majority, as I understand it, of the, the owners approve it, right? Ideally, you want to have 100% buy-in. So Does that ever happen with anything? I'm sure it has in some place. But some okay. historic districts are like, you know, five properties. Right. So, okay. That'd be a lot easier to do. But we are going to be having, um, as per federal guidelines, to do a National Register nomination. We will have a a public meeting. We're looking at dates in March, and it'll be at a site in the proposed um, Pollard Historic District in which the folks from the Texas Historical Commission will be there. Um, Representatives from Historic Tyler will also be there, and the public can come and you know, ask questions and voice their concerns because I think when people hear a historic district, the hair kind of stands up and they go, what does that mean? Are they going to tell me I can't do this to my house, this, that, and the other? And really what that means is, number one, the federal government has said, and specifically the National Park Service, that these 
homes are worthy. They make the cut. They have historical or architectural significance. It also means that there's going to be um, a record to preserve them. So in the event of demolition and whatnot, we at least know what had been there in the past. So what the building looked like, who the architect was, these kinds of things. And then also it means that it opens up these properties to historic tax credits. So if they're income producing, not private residents, they're eligible for historic tax credits that can help, you know, offset those costs. So if I wanted to buy a home in Pollard and I was looking at a home that was on the historic site, Mm-hmm. Okay. Could I, when I buy that home, what rights do I have to that home? You have all the rights. Okay. There's no regulation. Tear it down if I wanted to. You can, and then that's a misconception as far as like being on the national register. It does not prevent demolition. It doesn't prevent alterations. None of that. <laughs> Those kinds of teeth, from a historic preservation perspective, are at the local level if a city enacts them. So Tyler okay. has a a certain amount of that. But um, no, like it doesn't stop someone from demolishing a home. I would think, though, that there could be in a town the size of Tyler at least, you know, 40 places that you we're telling you you can't touch. But yeah, if it's like if it's a a local landmark, then it's going to have to be reviewed by the city, by the Historic Preservation Board. So there's going to be some stop gaps there. Right okay. before that happens. So there are some checks and balances in it. Um, but just by the very fact that it's on the National Register doesn't doesn't prevent that. So uh, the, the home you, you mentioned on Fannin that's on mm-hmm. the tour this year and that square right there of uh, Fannin, Donnybrook, um, Houston and Charnwood. Yeah. Okay. That that square right there. Mm-hmm. So there's the the White Mansion that was owned by a law firm, kind of on the west uh, southwest corner. Yes. And then uh, a couple of other mansions, and then the large pink one in the center, mm-hmm. there that we talked about. Yeah. So what is the story on that house? The the pink one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the pink one that's going to be on tour is eighteen ninety. Um, Clean Anne style and it has kind of an interesting history it's had a a few different owners but the Wiley we call it the Wiley Kessler home the Wiley family owned it for the majority of its tenure from about 1892 to 1973 or so and apparently the lady who was married uh, her name was Rebecca Wiley married to the gentleman who owned it she was um, a Mardi Gras queen from New Orleans. Okay. All right. And so she wanted to inject a bit of that flavor into the home. So you'll see these like garden district style wrought iron, um, like balustrades and banners kind of added to the front mm-hmm. that aren't typical of a Queen Anne, but certainly harken back to the New Orleans style. And then uh, David and Alva Kessler have owned it since, well, I think 17 years now. So we can do the math okay. on that, 2007 or so. Yeah, and they have been on tour about 10 or 11 years ago. So it's been a while since it's been open to the public. And that, that's a huge home. It's beautiful. So that's what, uh, four or 5,000 square feet, more? Oh, easily, yeah. Okay, because it's two or three stories. It is two stories. Okay. And um, it's it has these carved cypress front doors original to the home, beautiful stained glass, 14-foot ceilings on the inside. It has the uh, the men's and women's parlors still. And it has an unusual architectural feature. It has bay windows, but they're square. 
That's interesting. Yeah, so it, it's it's different. Which brings me to another question that I have: contractors to work on these historic homes. Yes. Do you guys have a database for those? We do. Okay. I have been actively creating that. Um, Basically, since I came on board. Oh, that What a great thing, because uh, you can't find anyone to do wooden windows. We talked about this last <laughs> yeah. time you we were in. Uh, yeah, I mean, wooden windows, you could spend um, more than what new windows would cost just going and redoing your wood windows, which are never going to be as energy efficient as, you know, the old ones, but they've got historical significance. But to find a contractor that's willing to take that kind of time when time is money in today's world it's hard right so i think i like to view it as it's craftsmanship and craftsmanship sure. takes longer mm-hmm. but on the flip side these wooden windows are what i don't know on some of these homes a hundred years old or yeah. more yeah. and they're still here so all it takes i know it takes a little bit of time but if you invest some time now you're going to get that longevity down the road. For sure they would last, I guess, that long again. Again. So are the contractors that do this work, are they mostly older? Most of them, in my experience, it it runs the gamut. I would say, generally speaking, what me and my husband have kind of noticed is that we have a dearth in the trades. So we have the baby boomer generation that's getting into the retirement years and they don't want to be doing this kind of work anymore because, right, they're late 60s, 70s. They're ready to get in a rocking chair, right? And you can't blame them. And then for my... That was Amanda that said that, by the way. If you want to, uh, <laughs> cards and letters. You know what I mean? They want to be smoking cigars and relaxing. That's fine. Right, that's what I mean. So... And I hope I can do that, too, when I'm that age. One day. One day. But for, like, the Gen Z and and millennials, or Gen X and millennials, we were often pushed towards college. And not that college is bad at all. It's just not the route for everybody. Sure. And so, as a consequence, I think a lot of the trades were not promoted in the way that they should have been or had been historically. And so now... There, there's an effort, like nationally, to resurrect the historic trades and train the next generation. Because I was about to out. say, if we go for, uh, let's see, wooden windows in all reality were probably phased out of construction more or less in probably the 70s or 80s, I would say, is when it really started to... Yeah. I mean, I know it uh, It probably ended... Those type of windows ended in the 50s and 60s, but just wooden windows... I remember when my parents built a home in Dallas in 1990. Uh, my uh, stepmother is from Louisiana, mm. and so she built a, uh, a Louisiana-style home, and it had wood windows. Yeah. And they don't make wood windows like they used to. Right. And so they were a disaster immediately. And she was like, oh, Oh, no. You know, know, they were all kinds of problems. But if they're done correctly, I'm told they can withstand a a decent temperature. They can, yeah. If they're done correctly. I mean, we've sought out, like, custom millworks and woodworking shops. There's some in the Dallas area, so that's not so far from Tyler. If there's anyone else local here, let me know. You know, I'd love to know about you. Um, but, but yeah. you have on the on the uh, site uh, on your uh, on your website you have a list of contractors that that do these different jobs. I have a list of the contractors and their different specialties okay. that we have. Well, 
I don't list anyone specifically. Call the office, and I'm happy to give that information out. Okay. Um, but I list kind of their specialties, and then the ones that we're still looking for. List a couple specialties that you okay. offer. So if they have um, experience doing cedar shake or shingle installation, um, experience doing electrical on older homes, uh, replicating millwork on older homes. That's just kind of a few off the top. Why would you use the old electrical, even if you had the knowledge? Why? Oh, no, no, not using the old electrical. Okay. Just just that they're uh, sensitive to the fact that it's an older home when oh, they're doing okay, it. okay, I understand. No, that we that gotta, makes more sense. I, mean, I can't imagine doing that. But No, we can't do the old, like, tube and knob electrical. <laughs> That's what it was called. Yeah. That's what it was called. Yeah. And there was a lot of, uh, an, an, when I had my house fire, we, we, we got to see all the old wiring. Yeah. You know, there was, and it was how it had lasted. You know, 85 years was kind shocking. Amazing. You know, and, and that's what all of the the materials they used, and you you brought it up and and, and stated it so clearly that, that they lasted 100 years already. Yeah. I mean, even if you're only repairing part of them, part of them lasted 100 years. Right. And homes are not meant to be just left there, built, and then walked away from or untouched. Like, you have to maintain them. So in a lot of cases, these historic homes, it's just a matter of deferred maintenance. No one's cared for the past 25 years. Correct. Right. So if they care now or if they had cared then, these homes would they'd still be in great shape. Amanda, let's give the dates of the home tour again. Okay, yeah. So Historic Tyler on Tour is going to be um, Saturday and Sunday, April 6th and 7th. We will also be having a candlelight garden party tour on Friday night the 5th. So tickets for that are 125 for members, 150 for non-members. So that's a... Really big kickoff party for the weekend. Um, and then tickets for the tour, $15 and $25. And are you giving out yard signs again this year? <coughs> yeah. Okay, good. Yep. Where do they get them? So we can pick up some from um, Historic Tyler office at 110 East Charnwood. So uh, we'll have some of those. I've already got one out in my yard, and I'm handing out more to the members um, at an event this Thursday. I'll stop by today to put one in my yard. I think <laughs> it's a go. great thing. I think it's a great thing for Tyler. I love the way that you guys just uh, wrap your arms around the historic value of Tyler. Thank you. In Focus is a weekly public affairs program featuring members of the local community working to make East Texas a better place. In Focus is produced by KTBB and the Team Sports Radio. And we thank you for listening. Join us again next week.